And so I started looking at all of these goals that I, 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 that I think were positive and were building me up. And I realized that they were drawing me out, drawing me away from laboring for eternal meat. Let's all turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 24 to 27. And may I ask you all to stand with me as we read these few verses. John chapter 6, verses 24 to 27. And let's begin. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Thank you very much. You may now take your seats. Now, even if you don't want to, and even if you don't try to, the new year, the bringing about of the new year has a natural effect of stirring our hearts towards change and stirring our hearts toward growth. We have the desire to make this new year, 2024, even better than the year that we had in 2023. We do this by usually setting positive goals that we will work towards in 2024. Now, we often call these New Year's resolutions. But again, some prefer not to because there's a stigma surrounding New Year's resolutions. People make them and they drop them within two weeks. So people, some people don't like to call them resolutions. Whatever you call them, New Year's resolutions or New Year's goals is very common at this time of the year. Now, according to statistics, the top 10 most common New Year's resolutions for this year is, are these 10. And try to guess what they are as I go through it. 10, improve work-life balance. Does anybody have that goal here? I know that's a big one in Japan because the, the workforce there, they work like 12 to 14 hours per day. It's because of overtime. Nine, make more time for hobbies. Eight, learn a new skill. Seven, stop smoking. I hope none of us have this resolution. Stop smoking. Six, make more time for loved ones. Five, improve diet. Four, lose weight. Three, I usually have never seen this one this high, but three is improve mental health. Two is improve finances. I'm in that boat. And one is improve fitness. Now, many of us probably have these resolutions this year, or we've made them in the past. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with making New Year's resolutions. There's nothing wrong. I don't find anything wrong with making New Year's resolutions because at its core, resolutions are just another form of goal setting, setting goals, setting life goals. And to me, goals are very important. Goals, having a goal in, in life prevents us from being complacent, prevents us from being lazy, prevents us from being directionless in, in, our, in our, the way we live. When we have a goal that we're actively working toward, we become motivated, we become ambitious, we become driven every single day. Now, right after our final oral exam in Bible college, the first thing I did, I, as, as the moment I closed the Zoom call, that was a very scary time, the oral exam. 
I had to do an all-nighter for that one because Pastor Wet was the one grilling my, my doctrinal statement. And so I was like scanning that everything. I was like, everything's wrong. Or at least I thought so. But after I did the oral exam, I opened up a Microsoft Word document and I immediately started typing out my life goals. What do I want to do after Bible college? What do I want to achieve after I finish Bible college? Because I didn't want to just graduate and then rot away for the rest of my life and do nothing with the rest of my life. I wanted to start acting and improving. I had five-year goals, 10-year goals, lifetime goals, etc. And to this day, I have this printed Word document right beside my monitor. Every time I use my computer, I see these goals, I see what I'm trying to work toward, and I keep them in mind. However, the past few weeks of October, November, December of, of 2023, I had an epiphany. All these years post-Bible college, I've been doing something wrong. As I contemplated, as I often do near the end of a year, I realized that I had been putting a significant amount of my time, a significant amount of my effort into secular goals. It dawned on me that I was laboring mostly for perishable meat. And I think too often we fall for this trap. We exhaust ourselves. We fully give of our, ourselves to achieving personal goals. And while these goals are not evil, a lot of times the goals that we set in front of us are, 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 are trying to improve us as an individual. They're not evil, and they're often productive and positive. At the end of the day, we're giving our lives towards perishable meat. Now, there definitely is room in our lives to labor for perishable meat. But we can't spend our lives solely focusing on working for, towards these things. As Jesus advised, we must start laboring for eternal meat. Meat that will not perish. Meat that will last for all eternity. Eternal significance. Because, you know, we have finite amounts of energy. There was a lot of days where I wish I was just brimming with energy. That I can just do all of these goals and I can have energy to pursue every single one of my goals with the same vigor and passion. But you labor and labor for one thing, for these perishable meats, you're not going to have any energy to labor for eternal meat. You have to choose. You have to have balance. And so I started noticing that the goals that I had been mainly pursuing in life in these past two or three years since I graduated college, have all been meat which will not endure. So what if my body looks a certain way when I die? Am I going to uh, carry that over into eternity? No. So what if I could improve how long I can run for and how, if I can run at a certain pace? So what? Am I going to be doing a lot of running in heaven? I don't think so. So what if I read 100 books in a year? What is that going to do? How is that going to contribute to my eternal, to, to eternity? And so I started looking at all of these goals that I, 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 that I think were positive and were building me up. And I realized that they were drawing me out, drawing me away from laboring for eternal meat. We need to understand that so, we can't spend and exhaust ourselves pursuing aspirations and goals that will end here when we die. Now, I am not urging us to drop all of our personal goals. This is not me saying, I will never go to the gym again. 
This is not me saying I will never read again. But as I've stated, I am not going to let these aspirations and goals consume me the way it did these past three years. What I am urging us to do in this new year, and we don't know, this may be our last year to do something about eternity. What I'm urging us to do is for us to double down our efforts and laboring for eternal meat. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message that you've laid on my heart ever since really November and October. And thank you, Lord, for waking me up to the, the reality that I've been laboring for meat that will perish and meat that will not last and carry over into eternity. And I pray, Lord, that myself and all of those who hear this message will start 2024 with on the right foot and that we would pursue things that have eternal significance, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us set good spiritual goals this coming year and help us to have the consistency to be able to, to follow through with, with our decisions this month. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's talk about setting spiritual goals. Now, naturally, we won't all share the same goals because we each have different areas of strength and different areas of weaknesses. What I'm weak in, you might be very strong in, so you don't need to have the same goal. I do. But it is imperative for us to go to God and ask Him to divinely direct us this year. Like with anything... We shouldn't be the ones giving God the game plan and then telling God afterwards, Lord, can you bless my plans? That's a role reversal. We ought to be the ones asking God, Lord, can you give me a game plan? Can you give me some good goals that I should strive towards this new year? Whatever, whatever it is that you're working in my heart to do, I'll do it. That is the prayer that we ought to be praying. So, it is imperative for us not to even set our own spiritual goals, not to even set something that we think we need. Pray first. Lord, what is it in my life that I need to improve upon? And from there, when God answers your prayer, that's when you set that goal. This afternoon, I'll give us some suggestions, some eight suggestions, and I'll go over them really quickly on some spiritual goals that God may lead you to pursue and focus on this year. A lot, a lot of these are just ba basics of the Christian faith, but we have to master the basics. And the first one is study more in 2024. I'm going to be cheesy this whole sermon. I'm going to always end it with 2024 and rhymes with more, whatever. Study more in 2024. Let's turn to Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. <clears throat> And we'll be reading just verse 2. And it says, just follow along as I read, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And in 1 Timothy 4.13, we are given this important truth, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. The areas of Bible reading, of Bible study, meditating on what you've read in your Bible, these three things tend to be very weak points, areas of weaknesses in the average Christian. There are some unfortunate statistics regarding Christians and Bible reading. 
This particular website conducts a lot of surveys regarding church and church-related things, and they use a sample size of over 25,000 Christians. And this particular survey showed that only 45% of Christians read their Bible once a week. 12% of Christians said that they only read their Bible one to two times a month. 9% say that they read it only several times in a year. 33% said that they seldom read their Bibles, if ever. These are Christians answering this. These are not you know, normal citizens. These are Christians saying this. 33% say they never read their Bibles. And 1%, I kind of find this funny, they say that they don't, they don't know how often they read it. It's crazy to think that there are 250 people who participate in this survey who don't know how many times they read their Bibles in a year. But out of the 45% of the people who said that they read their Bible once a week, I am thinking how much of that 45% would say that they read their Bible daily? I would think, I would wait, not wager, sorry. I would think that less than 10% of those people who said 45, that, that they've read their Bible once a week, only 10% or less of those people would, could say that they read their Bible once a day, daily. I would be curious, I would also be scared, as to what the result would be if God conducted this exact same survey in our church, God comes and he says, all of you Grace Baptist Church, participate in the survey. And you can't lie, I'm God, I, I, can, I can see through your lie, it won't help. How often do you read your Bible a day? And I wonder, how many could say they read their Bibles daily with a clean conscience? For a long time, and I, I, I was a teenager just a couple years ago. I still remember there would be certain pastors that would ask me, oh, you read your Bible this week? And I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would like, they would ask me, what did you read? Oh, Genesis. Yeah, Genesis was a good, good book. And so, you know, they, they would grill me. A guy who always grilled me was Tadala. He would always, there was one time after a, a sermon, a Sunday, a Sunday morning, he asked me, so uh, what did you guys learn in church today? And so I, I was excited, Pastor, because I named all three of your points to the T. I named it word for word, but then Tadal said, I know you know the points, but what did you learn? I was speechless because I knew the points, but I didn't really, I, I wasn't in the right state of mind to take away anything from it. But how often do we read our Bibles? We need to start reading our Bibles more, meditating upon what we've learned in our devotions every single day. We have, you know, 16 hours, let's say, if you sleep eight hours, is that right math? Yeah, eight, eight hours. If you sleep eight hours a day, you have 16 hours in the day. Let's assume you read your Bible first thing in the morning. You have 15 hours in the day to meditate and think about everything that God has taught you in your morning devotionals. This year, we ought to also start studying the scriptures to a greater degree. You know, we can't always just be reliant on, 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 on the pastors or other teachers giving us the deeper things of scripture. We need to start pursuing the deeper things of scriptures ourselves. Because studying the Bible in an in-depth manner is not reserved only for those in ministry, is not only reserved for those in Bible college or for those who want to preach, it is a command given to all in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. We need to be 
in God's word daily. And a problem that I had as a kid is I would set this arbitrary number. Okay, Ivan? One or two chapters a day. Once you get your two chapters, you're good. You're a good Christian. But I've changed my philosophy, obviously, over the time. I'm going to keep reading until I got something good from the Bible. Until I got something really good that's really going to stick with me. That might take five verses, or that might take multiple chapters, but I'm not going to stop reading my Bible until I got something really good from God. And we ought to have that same philosophy when we read our Bible, not to just set an arbitrary number or to just check it off a list, but we have to keep reading and get something from His Word because there's so many things to get from God's Word. We believe it's inexhaustible. We believe that we can never teach everything that the Bible has to offer. Let's start acting that way when we're in our devotions to keep, you know, trying to draw great gold from God's Word. Read the Bible earnestly and with an open ear. Why is Bible reading so important? Well, a writer once said, we must make a study of God, what He loves, what He hates, how He speaks, and how He acts. We cannot imitate a God whose features and habits we have never learned. We must make a study of Him if we want to become like Him. We must seek His face. Our goals as as a believer is to become more like Christ every single day. But how are we going to be more like Christ if we don't even know what Christ is like? And we only understand what Christ is like by being uh, completely uh, uh, involved in reading the Word of God. Let's make Scripture study and reading a priority this year. Make a goal to read the Bible through this year. Maybe there's someone here who has never read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Make it a goal this year to do so. Maybe make it a goal to read, um, to do a particular study on a Bible character. Have a goal. Have something that you can work towards. But I think all of us could have, would benefit from this general goal of consuming more Scripture this year. And you know what? We'll all be, we'll be a spiritually stronger church if all of us consume more Scripture every single day. I was having a talk with Nico and he said, one of the most important things, you know, I think people will catch more on fire if we just read our Bibles more. If people just read their Bibles more and read all about Jesus, we would be more all-consumed for Jesus. But it's scary that there's such a significant disinterest towards Scripture among Christians. So let's study more. Second point is to pray more in 2024. James, do you mind uh, making it a bit colder? Sorry. Now, that same organization that conducted the Bible reading survey also conducted a survey regarding frequency of prayer among Christians. And the results are a little bit better than the Bible reading survey. With the same exact sample size, 68% say that they pray daily. Okay, 17% say that they pray weekly. 5% say they pray monthly. 9% pray seldomly, and again, that same 1% don't know how often they pray. I'm assuming it's the same guys. Again, the stats are slightly better, but it's still nowhere close to what it ought to be. Only 68% from this particular survey pray every single day. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always does not mean praying once a month. Praying always does not mean praying when you feel like it. 
It is consistently every single day. The Bible is very clear in this verse and in a handful of other verses that prayer is to be made frequently, preferably daily. Why? Because prayer is the act, is the very act of communicating with God. What happens if we fail to communicate with God on a daily basis? Well, the natural result is we become less and less like Him. The less we talk to God every single day, the less we talk to God in a week, we become more like the world. Because something is always pulling at our hearts. We're either being influenced to become more like the world or becoming influenced to become more like God. And if you are skipping prayer, if you are ignoring prayer, if you are apathetic towards prayer, you're undoubtedly going to become more like the world. You'll become less like Jesus. And when we become less like Him, that's when a whole host of attitudinal problems start sprouting. In my case, in my personal experience, that's when depression starts sprouting. That's when thoughts of of inadequacy start sprouting. It's when I get further from Jesus. All of those emotions, negative emotions that shouldn't be entertained, they only enter my heart when I'm getting further and further away from Him. Because when you get closer to the Lord, there's joy, there's peace, there's happiness, there's, there's, you feel the love of God. And those feelings that you get when you get closer to God, they eliminate, at least in my case, they eliminate the negative emotions that often tend to cloud my mind. It is imperative that we keep prayer a main focus in our lives. But not only do we need to pray more, we ought to improve the quality of our prayer. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I was hoping this water would quench my my sweatiness, but it's also hot water. (laughs) It is what it is. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, follow along as I read. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. There's nothing wrong about praying about personal needs. Maybe you have a personal need in your life, There's nothing wrong about praying for it. But we need to start bearing the burdens of those around us and taking these burdens to God in prayer. So much of my prayer life as a teenager was wasted in the sense that I was selfish. I was a selfish prayer. I would always just pray for the needs of my my own life. I would just say, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, direct me in my steps throughout high school. Everything was about myself. Thank you, sir. But the Bible has so many more verses that tell and instruct us as believers to pray for other people. Pray for your family more. When was the last time you prayed for every single one of your, the members of your family? By name. Pray more for your friends. Pray for your pastors. We need it. We need your prayers. Pray for your significant other more. Pray for your government more. 
pray for your co-workers more, pray for your missionaries more. If you just spent your prayer time praying for other people, 45 minutes will pass easily. I always used to struggle about praying long. You know why? Because I was only praying for myself. But when you start looking at the lives of those that you care about, and even the lives of the people that you don't necessarily love, and you pray for their needs, pray for them, the time just whittles away and just passes by quickly. Because there are so much things to pray for. When we start looking beyond ourselves and more on other people, our prayers will naturally improve and lengthen because there is so much need for prayer. This year, we need to specifically practice intercessory prayer, interceding on the behalf of another individual, praying for them, bearing their burden in prayer. People covet and need your prayers, folks. If your prayer life has been lacking, make a spiritual goal this year to pray more. And not to pray for yourself more, but to offer up prayers for others. I heard a quote from D.L. Moody this year, or just like the tail end of last year, that really convicted me. It said, this is D.L. Moody saying this, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. This is one of the guys that most preachers look up to in terms of his ability to preach was D.L. Moody, but he himself said, I'd rather be able to know how to pray than to preach great sermons. Why did he prioritize and value prayer so much? Well, because he, was, because he knew that Jesus himself has put a high value on prayer. These past few, this past year really, I've been so focused on trying to be a better preacher. I would listen to videos on YouTube on how to be a better public speaker, what to do, how to move your hands, how to enunciate words. I've been so focused on improving my, myself on how to preach better. I thought to myself, if I can preach better, and if I can improve my public speaking, you know what, God's word will be better received by those I preach to. Preach to. But the truth is, and this is why it convicted me, is that I need to pray more for my sermons. When I'm preparing my sermon, I need to pray more during that preparation mode. I need to season my sermons with much more prayer, more than I've ever given it this, in the last sermons that I've ever preached. I need to season it with even more prayer because it is God that gives me power. It is God that gives me the wisdom. I need to pray more that those who will hear the message will have an open heart. I need to pray more that those who may be needing the message will be there to hear it. Those are, these are all things that I can't control. That no matter how many hours of practice I put into speaking publicly, it's not going to help those things. Because God, we need God's help. I as a pastor need God's help when I preach. You as an individual need God's help in whatever capacity you, you do every single day. You need God's help for everything. Let's season our lives with more prayer. So I've made it my personal goal. This was my biggest goal of the year. is to pray much more for others. And now as a, as a more prominent youth leader, you could say, I made it a goal to pray more for my teenagers, for the teenagers. I care and love each one of them. And no amount of just being friends with them, no amount of just caring for them is going to do anything for them. I need to start praying for them. Because the more I pray for these teenagers by name, the more my affection grows for them. 
I need to start praying more. We need to start praying more. It's crucial in my walk with God, and it ought to be crucial in your walk too. Third point, we should evangelize more in 2024. Our time on earth is fleeting. We don't know how many years we have. This could be the last year. The calendar could end at 2024. We don't know how many years the people around us have, specifically those who are unsaved. More than ever, we need to start personally evangelizing more this year. We need to start reaching out to our friends, our unsaved family members. And eventually, if you've done your due diligence, you've shared the gospel with your unsaved friends, you've, you've, done, you've, you've, you've shared the gospel with your unsaved family members, start looking beyond your family and friends. Start being more, uh, be, becoming more of a, of a sharer of the gospel to strangers that you meet this year. Extend the gospel more to the people, maybe the guy in the drive-thru. Extend the gospel to people that you may never meet again. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Can you say this afternoon that you are not ashamed of the gospel? Maybe we can claim that we're not ashamed of the gospel, but what do our actions reveal? Do our actions reveal that we are not ashamed of the gospel? Because if you quiet down when spiritual topics arise within your friend group, guess what? You just showed shame for the gospel that you so just, you just defended right now. Our society wants to shame those who preach the gospel. They want to silence and eliminate our message. Christian, will you let them succeed? Or will you unashamedly continue to proclaim the saving power of the gospel? Going back to the second point about praying, ask God to place certain unsaved people in your mind. Maybe you're thinking right now, oh, I don't have any unsaved friends. All I do is go to work and go home. I don't come across any unsaved people. I don't have to evangelize, I guess. Good for me. No. Because somewhere deep down, we're probably trying to burrow it in your minds. There's an unsaved person, family or friend that, you got, that God has been probing you to, to share the gospel to, but you've always just kept saying no and no. Ask God, Lord, reveal somebody in my life that I ought to extend the gospel to, that I, need to, that I should pursue even more fervently this year. Because we all have somebody. Pray that God will give you the opportunity to give the gospel. Pray that the unsaved person is willing to listen. Pray for courage to follow through. Pray for wisdom in knowing what to say. Again, you can see how prayer uh, relates to all the other goals that we have. Prayer is like the most important thing, really. Even if you can only handle pursuing one unsaved person this year. If there's 100 of us that make that, you know, that goal, we can reach another 100 people if we all follow through with that goal. Even if you can only handle one person, then start with that one person. It's better to step out in faith and do what you can than to do nothing at all. I've always made an excuse, you're bad with words. I'm very bad with words. I, I, tend, to, I tend to stutter and stumble a lot. I'm afraid of public speaking. I'm afraid of talking to people and going up to a group of people and you know, introducing myself. And I've used that so long as an excuse of, of not being a more fervent soul winner. That's got to change. 
And if that's you as well, if you're showing shame for the gospel, we have to change this year. Be involved with Soul Winners Academy this coming April. It's revamped, I think. There's going to be new things that we've never seen before. Be a part of that. Learn how to lead someone to Christ. You're going to, I just encourage everybody to be more involved with Soul Winners, being more involved in Saturday outreach. Point four, serve more in 2024. And these last couple points are going to go fast. Romans 12, 11 says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Our church is growing, specifically the, the Sunday morning crowd. I think it's steadily growing. But in terms of those who are serving in ministries, in terms of you look at all the different ministries that we have at the church, if you look at the, the workforce, you could say, of those ministries, they're actually not growing. The church is growing numerically in terms of the people who attend Sunday morning, but the ministry, the laborers for those ministries are not growing. They're, being, they're stagnant, and in some cases they're even dwindling. Every single ministry that we have in this church needs more workers. Our choir is great, but it's nice to have more people singing. It's nice that more people can join to really bolster and increase that volume. Super Church, the nursery, the ushers, the sound booth, they all have great workers, but they could definitely use more volunteers. A lot of them are in, in a rotation where they're basically in that ministry almost every single week because of the lack of, a, of other people to put in that rotation. Can I encourage those who are members to ask God how we can be more involved in church? How more, how, in what ways can we serve God more? Service to God is a command given to everyone. The, the, the command to serve is not exclusively for the youth. It is not exclusively for the adults. It is not exclusively to those who are called to ministry. But everyone is commanded to get involved in whatever capacity that we are able to. Now, our church requires you to be a member, to join certain ministries. But just because you're not a member doesn't mean that you, sh- you don't have to serve anymore. There are still opportunities to serve. You can get involved with our Saturday outreach, flyering, soul winning, door knocking. Those are all great ministries that you can join and be a part of without having to be a member. Let's never think that we're above service. Let's never think that we're above cleaning or let's never think that we're above serving in a specific ministry because we're so great. Because Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Jesus had all the credentials, perfect man, yet he still humbled himself every single day and made it his life's goal to minister unto others. He didn't complain and say, oh, I'm above this. Oh, you, you, you won't get me to do this. I'm above that. Get a, uh, get a lowly servant to do that. No. Jesus, was, Jesus did whatever it took to minister to un, un, unto others. He humbled himself and washed the foot of the disciples. They wore sandals back then. Those things were dirty. But he humbled himself to be a, a blessing to other people. Let's never think that we're above, above ministry, above getting involved. Let's make it our goal to serve him more in 2024. Point five, edify more. Edify more. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And in Proverbs 27.17, it says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Folks, let's start building up godly friendships in this church. I feel, like, I feel as if all, a lot of my friendships or affiliations are so shallow, are so surface level. I talk to people in a friendly way, but I never, try to bo- I never bother trying to get to really know fellow Christians in the church. And I have, a, I have a very shallow relationship with a lot of people. This year, I want to start really deepening those relationships. And, and I wanted to go just beyond being able to joke around with each other, to go beyond just being able to mess around with people. No, I want to really get to know other people, other Christians, get to know their struggles, get to know what it is that they're praying for so I can be involved in their lives in, a, in, in whatever I can involve myself in. Let's start edifying and building each other up and sharpening each other. Otherwise, we'll grow dull. We'll grow dull. We need to be a good Christian and help other Christians to also uh, be, be, do better in their Christian walk. Start sharpening each other. Start building each other up. The best way to edify is to pray for each other. How do I know what to pray for? Well, go to the person that you're, you're burdened to pray for. Walk up to them. Start a conversation. I know that's difficult for a lot of people. Start a conversation and get to, get to asking what it is, how it is you can pray for them. Hey, uh, what, it is, what, what, are you, what, what are some struggles in your life right now? Are you going through anything? Are you doing fine? Are you doing okay? Do you need prayer for anything? Catch up with others. Ask each other how, you, how we're doing. We edify each other by extending our hand of fellowship to those who feel lonely, to, to those who may be struggling. Maybe we get released from church. You see a, a visitor. You see one guy, one, one girl. You know, by themselves. No one's talking to them. Be that person. Extend that hand of fellowship and say, hey, is this your first time? They'll feel welcome. They'll feel loved. They'll feel accepted. And they'll keep coming. We edify each other by avoiding the formation of cliques and becoming a unified church body. This was a big problem in the, the New Testament churches. People were forming cliques. Oh, we're the Peter clan. No, we're the, we're the Jesus clan. We love Jesus more. And then we, have, we're the, we love Paul more. You know, there was cliques in here, and that, that's not what, what was, what was uh, desired by God. We are to be a unified church body. Yes, it's normal to have people that you're a little bit closer with than other people. That's fine. But don't, be, don't have your mind so closed off to those individuals. Extend and look beyond the, your, 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 your friend groups. We edify each other by deepening our relationships with our existing friends, catching up with them. It would be an amazing thing if our entire church adopted this goal and we all sought to edify each other. A church with everyone working and striving together and edifying each other after service. A church like that will no doubt do amazing things for God because we're all in in harmony. When when, When we're all in harmony, we can do more for God. But when we're split up, when we're split apart and we're all doing different things, we we limit ourselves. Let's please God by edifying each other. Six, attend more in 2024. And I'm not going to go too much into this because we have a whole month to really advertise this. But in Hebrews 10.25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. All throughout January, we'll be advertising fruitful February, encouraging our church people to be faithful in attending services that we don't regularly attend. As Pastor White said, and as you've noticed, it's uh, very common to attend Sunday morning. That's very easy to do, you know. It's, it's something that we've just grown up doing. But for a good majority, Sunday evening is too much. You guys are a blessing because you, were able, you stayed after the potluck, and you, you were a blessing to us by being part of the Sunday afternoon service. But for a lot of people, a second service on a Sunday is too much. That's too much. That's, you can't even, we can't even debate that. And don't even st- get started with Sunday school and Wednesday evening. There's no chance I'm going to those. Folks, we need to start catching fire and attending more services. Because your presence at church is an encouragement. Every single Sunday school, I'm always blessed by Ashton and Hannah. Every single Sunday, every single week, I, only, I mostly all the time have, only have two students for Sunday school, Ashton and Hannah. But them being there, it's an encouragement to me. Them participating, them paying attention and, and answering questions and being there, fully there, is a blessing to me. Their attendance has been a blessing to me. The attendance of the teens on Wednesday has, a, has been a blessing to me. You're, you just simply showing up to services will be a blessing to Pastor White and the staff. But you also encourage other attendees. You know, sometimes you may be, you know, my prayer this February is for most of the teens to show up in Sunday school, to be fruitful in Sunday school. And, I was, and Ashton and Hannah were saying, that would be fun. That would be great. We can have more discussions. We could have seven people competing for the $10 gift card. It will be more fun that way. It's just, right now, they're just competing with each other, and they just end up splitting it together. Anyway, so <laughs> not really much of a competition. Too nice. But... It's an encouragement to the pastors, to the leadership, but it's also an encouragement to those who attend. So make it a goal, not just for February. That would be a shame if we were faithful only in February. The, mo- the moment March hit, we just dropped off. That's not, the, that's not what we're trying to achieve with fruitful February. More like a fruitful 2024. Point seven is to love more in 2024. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all, things, let all your things be done with charity. The world is filled to the brim with hate. The world is filled to the brim with false conceptions of love. We're told to love. We're taught that love is is to accept any belief, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. Apparently, that's what love is. But what kind of love lets a person figuratively drive off a cliff? No, a person who actually loves that person will warn them, Hey, there's a cliff. Stop driving. A person who truly loves will warn, not to just blindly accept. And all this to say the world encourages love, and they say love wins, and they say all of this thing centered around love, but it's not the right type of love. Christians, we need to set an example of love in our communities. As Dennis said in his popcorn preaching on, on last week, we're the kind of the, the standard for for, of Christianity to our friends because sometimes we're, we're the only ones we're the only Christians that they ever encounter we need to set that example of a loving Christians many of society has labeled Christians to be condescending judgmental and bigoted jerks we have two options 
fulfill their expectations be and be exactly that, or to subvert their expectations and show them what a true loving Christian is really like. Don't feed their expectations of what a Christian is like. Show them the, the true love that the Bible is, is, is telling us to have. I've always found it fascinating that many atheists and agnostics, even though they reject the, the veracity of Scripture, even though they, 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 they deny the, the, the doctrines in the Bible, they still admire the person of Jesus. I've, I've met a lot of atheists where they say, I don't like the Bible, but I like Jesus. He's a good guy. And I found that fascinating. They don't agree with the faith, but they respect his character. And the reason why is no matter if, if they don't believe what the, the Bible says is true, they can't deny the fact that Jesus was loving in everything he did. Because that much is apparent from, uh, from Jesus' biography. And I know this is an impossible ask, but let's make it a goal to imitate the type of love that Jesus showed to others. When we love others more, God will open for us doors of opportunity to share the gospel. And that relates to one of the goals is to evangelize more. You see how all these goals, if you're good in one of them, it's going to start affecting the other ones. It's like a web. 1 Peter 4.8 And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall, not cover, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Yes, we're told to love other people, strangers, neighbors, co-workers, but let's not forget to have love for each other too. This is, relates to the point of edifying each other. It's hard to forgive some people. It's really hard to erase the memory of what they've done to you, the slight, how they've slighted you in the past, how they've injured your name in the past. It's hard to, to erase that. But that's what we're called to do is to love each other because it shall cover the multitude of sins. It's hard to be a unified church body if there are seeds of bitterness throughout the congregation. We need to get rid of that, the bitterness that may be present and unified together. Love others more in 2024. And lastly, sacrifice more this year. Pastor White already read this verse, Romans 12.1. Earlier in the morning, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is a simple and quick point, but it is to sacrifice more this year. Maybe you have habits in your life that are just plain negative and just weighing you down. Quit those things. Get rid of those things. Maybe there are sins that you're entertaining that are defiling your heart and conscience and preventing you from serving the Lord with a pure heart. Quit those things. Maybe you've let something else take preeminence in your life. Sort it out and get your heart right. While checking James' sermon last, last week for the watch night service, I saw a quote in his sermon that I really liked. And it said, We don't offer our lives up to God so that He can slay us but so that He can empower us. We are taking our hands off our life so that God can put His hands on our life. We're called to be a living sacrifice, but the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. 
Let's properly offer up ourselves this year as a living sacrifice. No complaining, no wrestling with God's will, but it's just a simple surrender to what He wants in our lives this year. Just following, complete, completely obeying His will for our lives. Now, I don't know what areas you struggle with, but I've given eight suggestions of good spiritual goals that we can strive for that will result not in perishable meat, but in eternal meat. Study more, pray more, evangelize more, serve more, edify more, attend church more, love more, and sacrifice more this year. Keep pursuing the personal goals that you may have, but remember that we ought to be laboring more for our spiritual goals. Why settle with perishable meat when you can have meat that will last for all eternity? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.